Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today is my great pleasure to have Stephen Murray on the show. Welcome, Stephen. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, man. Stephen is the president and COO at Booster, and Booster partners with schools. So that's going to be an interesting topic of a discussion today to help them raise money through fitness and other activities. And obviously, Stephen works in an industry that is hyper impacted. We'll talk deeply about that around our theme, and that'll be all around thinking about how to rebuild the organization when we ultimately get through the COVID pandemic. Before then, Stephen, I'd love to get to know you a little bit better by just understanding how you approach learning. Been a booster 12 years, and uh, we have a culture that is very much centered around learning. I mean, the average age of at one point, we'll get into the story of Booster and the recent downsizing that we've had to do. But on March 1, we had over 800 employees, and the average age was probably 26, 27. And so when I joined back in 2008, I was 21 and knew this company was growing, knew we had a niche, uh, knew we were you know, really ripe to disrupt the, the industry that we were in. And I remember loud and clear, our founder and CEO, who's still there, he said, hey, we're going to double in size in the next three years, next two and a half years at that point. And he gave us this challenge. I don't expect you to just learn at the rate at which the company's growing, but I expect you as a leader to stay ahead of the growth and in your learning and in your development. And I remember that really set my habits and my focus on learning in motion and realizing, wow, we're we're in a fast growing organization. And since 2008, we've never had a year where we've grown less than 20%. So that's just created a fire, kind of lit a fire underneath me of I have to learn, stay ahead of the organization, especially in you know the role that I'm in now. And I've also believed as a learner, you know, and as a leader, it's intensely contextual to the environment that you're in. So, you know, the old adage, uh, "What got you here won't get you there." And so I'm always on the lookout for what's the next stage in my career? What's the next stage of business that we want to become? And how can I bring those people in and learn? And so I'm big on at least having an in-person or Zoom face-to-face interaction with a leader that I aspire to be like every other week. And I'm reading something daily. You know, I have my inbox, you know, rules set up to go to folders, whether it's HBR or different resources out there just to continue to, to learn. And so, yeah, a lot of, I could, I could geek out. We can spend the next 30 minutes, Jeremy, talking about that if we had time, but a uh, huge proponent of just trying to stay ahead of where the business is going by outlearning the growth of the business. My role over the last six months in light of COVID has changed so much. So what I was reading in February, I've put down all of those books and resources and I've had to pick up new things in light of the season that I'm in, right? So always being open to what's out there, but also where you're presently at and the present challenges that you're facing. You mentioned that the CEO of Booster was also, it sounds like an incredible mentor to you. What's your philosophy around engaging and finding mentors? So I I just realized, you know what? It's not going to be on them to reach out to me. They're busy, yes, and don't know how to have those conversations all the time necessarily. So it it really is going to be on me to initiate that. I'm going to go out and find those people. They're not going to find me. And I was pleasantly surprised to see just how open they were to sitting down with me. Now, I'm not asking for a huge commitment. I'm asking for 30 minutes over coffee. I'm not saying, will you you mentor me, you know, uh, every other week for the next three years? I'm not asking for that. Now, I've seen some of those conversations turn into that over time. 
find a host of mentors is something I always tell my team and, and don't just find one person. Find many that have different perspectives and different strengths and weaknesses that you can pull on in different times. People, by the way, they might have presumed when I first announced your title as president and COO that you had been the founder. This is not the case, right? You came in ground level when you said you were 21 years old. So talk to us a little bit about how you made that progression from the ground floor to the executive home office because no one's going into the buildings anymore. Yeah. So I wanted to go into the military. That was my like life purpose, family in the military. And I grew up playing sports. Soccer was something I was really passionate about in soccer and, and had a really bad ACL, MCL tear my senior year in high school and just had a, a much harder time recovering from that than I had anticipated or the doctors had anticipated. And so long story short, as I was going through the process of enlisting, ended up getting kicked out because of I had to have another surgery and the military was getting flooded with applications because all these kids couldn't get a job out of college, right? So I found Booster through some former connections in the area. I'm an Atlanta native, grew up in Atlanta. Booster, the Chris Carneal, who founded it, uh, founded it actually in Birmingham while he was in college, had just moved to Atlanta, decided that this was really going to grow again, saw it as a, as a way to disrupt a really old market in the, the fundraising space for schools. And uh, just, yeah, found a connection and ended up hopping in, viewed it very temporary. I mean, I think for my first three months, I still had no idea what we were really doing. From, I would say the first six to 12 months started to get the depth of not just the impact we were having uh, and the need that was there for, for our clients, which are the schools, right? But also this culture. I shared earlier about the challenge Chris gave us to just grow faster than the company's growing. And just really fell in love with the people, the culture. And as the military dream was dying, this was starting to really take root. And yeah, had the opportunity to just move from actually running the programs on campus and being kind of the front line of customer service to working with Chris. We were maybe 50 employees when I hopped in and, and our headquarters in Atlanta had uh, maybe five people. And so Chris needed somebody to kind of be his project manager. Everybody viewed me kind of as a Swiss army knife because I just worked really hard. I was, wasn't was afraid of technology, wasn't afraid of sales, wasn't afraid of, of much. It's just kind of your classic generalist. And from there, Chris and I developed just this great chemistry where he is much more of a visionary, spontaneous person, innovator, kind of your typical pioneering entrepreneur. And, and I'm more of a process operational type of leader. And so we we just complimented each other really well. I ended up taking over HR when I was 25. We had a 200 employees. We were growing. We we're out of the Southeast, getting into Denver and up into DC and into New York. And Chris said, hey, I need somebody new to lead HR. Will you want to do it? I had no HR experience. So we still joke to this day, of like that was either the stupidest decision he's ever made uh, or the best decision. It panned out for my career. You know, Three years, I learned a ton doing that. And then I moved into operations and COO and then became president three years ago this summer, actually. So I, too, have structured my career as a Swiss Army knife. Everything has its flip side, right, which is jack of all trades, master of none. I remember I was once having a conversation with someone after I had read the Strengths Finder book, which that book says you should exclusively focus on getting better and better at your strengths. And it uses... I can't remember, let's say Michael Jordan, like what if Michael Jordan had tried to be a cupcake chef or something instead of a basketball player? And I was talking to someone after I read it because I was really struggling with it. And his he gave me this great advice, which is 
yes, invest in your strengths, let's say 80% of your time, but you need to carve out that 20% of your time to make sure that your weaknesses are at minimum proficiency for your next desired role or minimum proficiency to be successful in your current role. One thing I also wanted to go back to is, you know, you mentioned that the vision of Chris, your CEO, was to disrupt this old industry of school fundraising. I remember going door to door and selling smoked sausages and cheese and candy bars and whatever, right? I think of the school fundraising world as having like two incredible sales challenges. One is that it's a commodity business, that there are so many offerings that are out there that people, you know, can leverage. But then the second thing is, I would suspect there's a very high barrier to entry in that if you're going to be interacting with kids and you're having kids sell product, there is like a higher duty and a higher standard that's applied to the decision makers who are deciding which vendors to engage to actually be able to sell, I would suspect is high. So I wonder if you can sort of talk a little bit about those things is selling not only a commodity business, but one where there's a high standard of care that needs to be applied. What we have brought to the industry has been desperately needed. And I think it was catching up the industry to the times. You know, Chris had this idea. He was a baseball player at, at Samford, uh, not, not Stanford, uh, Samford. He always likes to clarify that. So he's playing baseball. He was doing baseball tutoring lessons for kids in the area. And he just like every week, one of his students would come to him and say, hey, I'm selling, uh, you know, cookie dough or I'm selling wrapping paper. And it was the classic, you know, door to door, just ask who you can fill out, you know, an order form. And his, his thought was twofold. A, there has to be an easier, better way to do this than order forms and trying to keep up with it. So there's kind of a hassle free aspect to it. And then B, these are our next generation of leaders in America. And schools do such an important work and educating them to get them ready for society. Is there another way to raise money for schools that also adds that life skill development? So through the testing, a couple of things, he realized fitness was really that approach and kind of character building activities and fitness building activities where the junk that these kids would sell, nobody would buy them because they needed the junk. And so Chris is like, they don't need to sell anything. They just need to let the, the donor, whether it's grandma, grandpa, or dad's coworker, or mom's coworker, just let them know that they're doing something meaningful. You know, we're running in a fun run or we're doing a dance-a-thon or whatever it may be that, you know, we have a lot of different products now and a lot of different services. And yeah, people really have gravitated towards that. You know, not to mention we, we caught, <laughs> this was not our genius and timing, but we timed it right where the e-commerce era was starting to take over where there might have been some utility value back in the day to getting cookie dough from an order form from a kid, but now you can get everything online. So what value is there to getting a product through a fundraiser? There's no convenience factor to that anymore because we can get it online, right? So we've invested millions and millions in our tech platform. It's really robust. We've actually moved more towards a, a SaaS type model and partnering with some of our private schools and, and public schools that have a lot of volunteers and don't need us. And and so, yeah, we've taken this old market that was door-to-door sales with children, basically, and have created this really altruistic type of program that has an impact on the students' lives, gets teachers and administrators extra dollars that they need. And our sellers are very tied into the service and the delivery side because they have to be. They're not just selling and then walking away. And it's got to be cohesive. When you and I were talking before this, we are sort of lamenting that as well-intentioned as schools are, there's this very unfortunate likelihood that within a month, 
those best intentions will not be realized because COVID and or the flu, I guess, coming along right behind COVID. I imagine you're now starting to plan out six, eight, nine, 12 months ahead and thinking about how do you rebuild? Because right now, I would assume there's not a lot of fundraising going on. The last five months since this all happened have by far been the hardest five months I've ever had in my career. And, and we thought there's no way schools have never shut down wide scale like this. And so we, we thought even with the pandemic, schools will stay. These kids need to be on school campus. It's to keep a, a society functioning. We need our kids in schools. And so we thought there's no way this is going to happen. It will disrupt our business, but not severely. And, you know, we, we ate those words because schools shut down. So we were expecting from March 12th to the end of the school year, which in the Northeast goes through mid to late June, we were anticipating about 18 million in, in sales. And we maybe got 200,000 of the, the 18 million. I mentioned earlier over 500 employees. So we didn't qualify for really any government assistance. You know, the, the PPP plan that they put in place was for 500 employees and under. We also aren't big enough to where, you know, the government's calling us to bail us out like the airline industry or the cruise line industry or whatnot. So we held out hope that, you know, schools would be out for a month. And that's what our clients were hoping, you know, our principals were hoping. So we kept, for the most part, our workforce fully intact. And then mid-April rolls around, schools are saying, yeah, we're not, this is going to be longer. We're not coming back. And so we did some, fur a little bit of furloughing. We were still in a good cash position from a lot of years of success. And in many ways, we were looking at August and September and thinking, there's no way schools would be out again in August and September. So we, we tried not to wind down our workforce that much because we were hopeful that, man, we'd ramp things back up and schools need money for PPE and you know to do school safely and masks. And so we were really hopeful that our industry and our market would uh, de-thaw this fall and it would be hot for us. And so we wanted to keep our presence intact and really be able to pivot and respond to the demand that we thought was going to be there. And by mid-July, we started catching wind again that schools were looking at not coming back and teachers were protesting about their safety and the position of strength we were in in, in March from a balance sheet standpoint after going four months burning cash waiting we just had to cut deeper. So here we are, positioned now for this fall. And our plan for four months was, we're going to just get back to where we were. We're going to get back. So let's just hold and wait and get back. And we waited as long as we could. And now we're saying, all right, we have to cut deep. And we got to really reinvent who we are. This virus is going to be with us longer than any of us hope. Even if there's a vaccine by the end of the fall, who knows how long that will take to make people feel confident about sending their kids fully to school and teachers feeling safe. We've shifted our program and our products to more virtual. We're having plenty of clients, but we've already kicked off seven programs. It will be choppy. It'll be hard and it will be nothing compared to what our previous falls were, but we're finding ways to serve our clients. And instead of viewing it as here's how we used to serve you, we want to serve you that way again. Now we're kind of starting fresh and taking a much more consultative approach with our clients saying, really, what are your needs? And we have assets and we have some people that can partner with you and we have software, but I actually have really enjoyed it because I feel like it's actually more consultative. It's not as turnkey, but it's more consultative and we're giving our people more freedom to fix problems for our clients and we're generating revenue while we're doing it and it's working. Yeah. I mean, opportunities are created by disruptions. And I love that you just use the phrase fix problems. I think there's these great opportunities somehow just like 
help kids build community, help kids stay focused, help kids stay fit in a time where I would assume like child fitness is, is taking a big hit because they're not even walking to school right now. When the world was predictable, we had a very specialized org chart of turnkey. Here's our program, our account managers and our delivery team in the field. Hey, follow this checklist and it's going to work. Now the checklist no longer works. Why would you renovate something the exact same way it was? That's not the point of renovating. So we got to come up with better solutions. And I feel like the team has finally grieved the past. And now we're looking at things with fresh eyes. And it's been powerful to see. I think our culture has actually gotten better in a lot of ways in the last month because everybody's coming at it with a more creative lens. I had hoped to ask you some things about the great volunteer work you do and then the fact that you know you yourself have not left the fitness thing behind, so how you stay fit and active during COVID. But if people do want to hit you up on LinkedIn and maybe ask you some of those questions or perhaps give you some suggestions on how to keep their kids off of Minecraft all day, what's the best way for them to do that? It's to tell their local school leader to partner with Booster. That's the best way. Steven, it was such a pleasure chatting with you today. Yeah, Jeremy, thanks for having me, man. Be blessed. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. Paige McCauley is our producer. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.